0: So Revelation, uh, it's our book of the year, <laughs> or the new year as we start out, and so Revelation chapter 1 is where we started, and the key thing it says in, in chapter 1 verse 1 is that it says, uh, it starts out the revelation of Jesus Christ, within that whole kind of context is that this book is going to be revealing Jesus Christ to us in a different way. It's just pretty exciting to think about, you know, we have to kind of think of the timing of this when John wrote it, we're thinking it's around 95 AD, we'll get into that a little bit more uh, in, in future weeks, but, you know, the, the gospel period had just ended, uh, the book of Acts has just been lived out, Jesus Christ, as we know him, we, we kind of see a fuller picture because we have the whole completed word, this is revealing that to us the first time, and there's some things in here that we need to take to heart, and so it tells us to look for that, we're, and we're going to do so. We're going to look for the revelation of Jesus Christ throughout this book, where it shows us more about him and who he is in a different way. And so it tells us to do so, so we're going to do that. It also tells us where we got the book. It came from God the Father, who was given to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ then gave it to an angel, who then signified it, or put it into signs, into symbols, so that we could better understand it, to also kind of protect it, I think, as well, but to also drive us, give us a fuller uh, description. You have to think, this is talking about future events, you know, that happen, and he's writing it in a 95 AD, and so he's describing things that might be hard for him to describe, so he's put it into symbols, so that it conveys that same thing over. So then that is given then to John, and then John then gives it to us, the church, and so uh, it's come down the line. This is a direct revelation from God that's passed through all these hands to make sure that we get it and so make sure that we understand it. So it's directly from God and it was readily accepted when it was written. Uh, the early church went to John. They knew John. They knew his reputation. He had his testimony, he, they, they knew who he was. And so when he wrote this and said, God gave me this, and he starts out with that whole thing, this comes from God, it was readily accepted and put in right into the canon. They, they studied it and they knew it. And so it should be accepted today. This is kind of a shame. How many people neglect it? And we talked about that some last week. And so, but it definitely comes from him. We also saw last week in verse three that says that this book has a blessing upon it. Like all Scripture does. You know, it's a blessing to read the Scripture. It's something that we are um, asked to do. You know, read the Word. You know, study the Word. You know, ingest the Word. Have the Word. And so, it does that. But this one specifically says there's a blessing upon it. Verse three: Blessed is the He that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Outright stated that you will be blessed. And uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do exactly what this verse tells us to do. One person's going to read it, and people will listen Hopefully you <laughs> that we're here, so we'll read it and we'll listen. and And one, one pastor had uh, a commentator had, had taken this verse and he said, if I could update it to today, it says, "Blessed is the pastor who preaches the Book of Revelation, and blessed is the congregation that hears it." Uh, it's encouraged by God. He says, "Study this book." Read this book out loud. Talk about this book. You know, let, let, let's, let, let's take some time as a church to meditate on this word. And so he encourages it by saying special blessing on you. Special blessing on all of us for being here. And the word blessed means happy. Happy are you if you hear this book. Happy are you if you study this book. Which is kind of weird. And since, you know, you look at the book of Revelation, you're like, I don't think it has a lot of happiness in it. You know, there's a lot of death in it. There's a lot of destruction in it. There's a lot of evil in it. It seems like all those things are going. You know, there's evil rises. You know, there's death, destruction, demons that are all throughout it. You know, uh, it's just most of the earth gets wiped out. But there's happiness in it, too. That's part of it. If we keep this word, if we keep some of the things that are contained within here, uh, and keep here means to guard it, to observe it, to watch out, to hold fast. I know that there are certain truths in here that if we keep and we guard and we watch them, we will avoid all the horrible stuff in this book. And that's part of what this is. It is a warning to avoid all this horrible stuff. And then, as we escape it, we can be happy. Because we get to see the evil is defeated. Uh, The demons are locked up. The beast is, is cast into the pit. Satan is bound in chains for a thousand years, then ultimately bound and cast away. We get to see a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, that are created, that we get to be a part of. We get to watch God form this. Think in Job. Job talks about when he created the world that the angels saw it and they rejoiced. We're in part two. We are joining with the angels now as he creates a new heaven and a new earth and we rejoice and we see the power and the wonder of God. I think that's going to be a cool show. (laughs) I think that's going to be watching God make all this and then bring down the the new Jerusalem because he's already working on it. That tells me it's going to be fantastic. And so he's going to bring it down and place it on the earth, and so it's going to be exciting. We get to witness that if we keep these things, if we guard them, if we have salvation. And so um, Eden lost is Eden restored. You know We get to go back to how it's supposed to be, ruling and reigning with God the Father on this earth with no death, no disease, no dangers. Man, a different world. A different world. I almost broke out into Aladdin. There's a whole new world. <laughs> it's going to be a whole new world, you know how it is. So that's, there is happy stuff. Blessed. You know, for reading this, we'd be blessed with it. And we also find out timing. When are the last days? Are we in the last days? Verse 3 tells us, yeah, the very end of it says, For the time is at hand. The time is at hand. God's prophetic timetable, and God's prophetic timetable, these events are next. The book of Revelation is what is next. And right before that, Believe the rapture happens. And so it is the closest thing, uh, right on the cusp. We don't know the day or the hour when he'll say, go get my children and bring us home. And so it is at hand, it is immediate, it is imminent at any time it can happen. So that gives it a relevancy as well, that this is something that is so close. As we've studied the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, going through the books, he would warn, he would warn, and it seemed like when destruction came, it was all at once. That's the kind of imminency that he's saying. He goes, I've been warning, and I've been telling you. And then when it happens, it's just like he said it would be. And, uh, and it's sad for those who weren't prepared and those who weren't ready. For those who are, you know, it's a good thing. And so he's warning us about that. And the Old Testament gives us example after example to kind of be prepared for it. And so we need to be ready. If you haven't repented and trusted Christ as Savior, do it now. Do it now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Uh, do it before you're in the pot and things are hard and things are hot. And uh, let's, let's do it now. That, that's point, a major point of this whole book. Uh, So now we're ready for a new portion here in verse 4. So Revelation 1, verse 4, and we'll read down to verse 6. It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, and to him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. Ah, there's a salutation for you. Cause that's what this is. This is the greeting. It starts up with John. you got to think of this as a letter, because that's what it says right there. This is, this is a letter I've written to these churches. I think he's written it backwards, I think, because by the time you get to the end, it's so fantastic, uh, you're not like, oh, who wrote me this? You know, so he tells you up front, and this is from me, but it's from God, and so he signs it John. He signs it at the beginning. John is, uh, we know him, you know, he, he, he's an early disciple, he's in that inner group, you know, he, he's usually in, in any of the extra little things, John's right there with him, John's one of those faithful and loyal and, and a good witness for the Lord, I think God honors him for that. Um, he's the author of the Gospel of John, and the other books, you can always find his, that's 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John. Uh, the only one that doesn't have his name is Revelation, and so he tells us right here. And so he's, he, he's got a good chunk of uh, the New Testament where he, where he tells us these things. But there's one book I want to look at first, just to kind of, I think, kind of puts context to why did John get this book, and why not Peter? And, and look at the Gospel of John, chapter 21, the last chapter. John, chapter 21. A little bit of context, Jesus has just told Peter his future. He says, when you were young, you used to get dressed yourself, and you went wherever you wanted. He says, well, in a few years, somebody else is going to dress you, and they're going to drag you to a place you don't want to go. Uh, that's not the future you want to hear. And, and so, we, we pick up after he's kind of told him that, look at verse 19. So, John 21, verse 19. This spake he, signifying what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. So basically, he told Peter how you're going to die. One day, somebody's going to get you ready that day, and they're going to tie your hands, and they're going to drag you out. And ultimately, we know he was crucified. So he basically told him his future. You're going to die for me. Verse 20, then Peter, turning about, he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following. Now, we know because we've studied some of John's writings before. This is a, a, a term that John uses to describe himself because he's pretty blown away that Jesus loves him. You know, Jesus loves me. You know, he, he knows his failings. He knows his faults. And so this is, you know, since he's the author of this, it's his way of saying me. You know, so Peter turns around and sees John. What about that guy? You know, it's like, is he going to die too? You know, Sounds like Peter, right? And so, uh, following which, and he also described himself, the one whom he loved, which also leaned on the breast at the supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? We could go back and look in the context. It was John that was sitting right next to Jesus, and it was John who asked, you know, who's going to betray you? And so, he's telling us it was him. Verse 21, uh, Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and uh, and what shall this man do? So, he wants to know his future. Verse 22, And Jesus said unto him, If I will t- uh, will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. He's like, You live your life. John live his life. You know, what if I let him live until I come back? You know, what's that to you? You're going to die. That's um, how he's kind of telling him, and uh, you know, he, just telling him his rough road. Uh, let's continue the end here. He says, then, uh, then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that this disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die. But if he will that he tarry till I come, what is it to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and which wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did that which if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. And so he goes on to say, he goes, I just wrote a few things. If I wrote everything that I saw, everything I witnessed, there's there's not enough paper. There's not enough ink. You know, I, I couldn't put it all down. But the disciples got out of this little comment that John wasn't going to die. That John was going to live till he saw Jesus come back. He could get to see the day of the Lord. That John was going to be able to behold that. And John's like, he didn't say, I would live till then. But he does get to see it, doesn't he? I think that's why he's given the book of Revelation. He gets to see all these things in his life. He was just transported to the future to write it down. He gets to see the second coming. He gets to see the end of the world. He gets to see the new heaven, the new earth, he gets to witness all those things, you know, and he did it before he died, and so literally all these things are fulfilled, so I think that's why John gets the book of Revelation, because Jesus has him earmarked for this, and so um, that's where we are in Revelation 1 verse 4, and I think John is getting this because Jesus alluded to it earlier, he says um, he saw it in advance, and we call this advanced screening, the book of Revelation. And he says, John to the Seven churches which are in Asia. So uh, he's greeting them, but he also, like I said, it's a letter written backwards. So he writes his name, but then he also writes the address, who he's written it to. He addresses it to the seven churches in Asia. Just even putting all this together this week, I was thinking, what timing? You know, it's always just amazing to me, the timing of the Lord when we pick a book. or you know, Because I'm always like, you know, when we get to the last chapter, Elaine starts in. what's next? What are you going to do next? You're head next. You know what you're going to do next. I'm like, well, I usually have like three. Well, I kind of think about this one, and I'm, I kind of think this one maybe, and then maybe this one a little bit, and she'll be like, why those? You know. And so we go through this. You know, she's my Holy Spirit counselor who puts me through the paces. Or why are you going to tell me about that? I wasn't new about that. But normally you would do something like this, and so she helps me weed it down in that way by uh, berating me as we get it there. You no, know, as we bounce the ideas off, and so uh, bring it around. It's always kind of neat then. You know, as you go throughout the year, on the, on the day and the week that you're in a chapter, that something just happened, and this is perfect for that, and that the Lord would do, it's, just, it's, it's humbling, and it's pretty exciting just to think God's timing. I also also think, but if I picked another book, God could work that too, you know, and we could see the truth in it, but it just shows the relevancy of God's word, and how it's just as fresh as today. This timing that, because uh, I got some flack from my wife, or why would you have a missionary on Christmas? I'm like, because he's getting ready to go to Turkey, you know, it's like, and, and he's here in town, and I'd like to see him one more time, and kind of hear, I want to see, I, I want to, I'm selfish, I want to get some of that excitement, man, he's going to Turkey, you know, I, I, I wanted to know that, and we've known Brady, I, I went to school with his mother, her locker was just a couple lockers down from me, you know, lockers are this wide, you know, her last name was Abbott, mine's Butler, we're, we're pretty close, and um I've spoken to her more as adult as I ever did in school, because she was usually just like scared to death but to think it was always kind of weird thinking that I knew her kids you know and that uh, Levi went to school with Brady's brother you know so we, we've known him you know I've known him for a while and it's, it's neat to think that he's called the turkey you know and, uh, and uh, if you haven't heard the podcast you'll get a real sense of that calling you get a sense of what's going on and, and the mystery and the excitement and the wisdom I was really touched by the forethought of it's going to be hard uh, you also learn why they haven't learned the language yet there's good reasoning by that as well and the uh, He's going to come along and partner with another church. It's like, hey, I can't you know, light the world on fire when I'm trying to learn language. You know, to, to know he's going to be working, he's going to be serving, they're going to be doing that, that they're in a partnership, someone's coming along to help him after he's been there for a year, that he'll already have some groundwork done, and they're already kind of building the ministry. There's some wisdom in there. I think, this is a kid I knew. You know, it's, like, it's neat to see. So to think that we have this missionary just here, and he's sent partially by us. You know, we're not funding all of him. He has a lot of churches that are sending him his monthly thing. But Cornerstone Church of Trafalgar, Indiana, has a part in, a stake in this missionary who's going to Turkey, to take the truth to Turkey. You know, that, that is the name of his ministry, and that is his goal. Turkey's where these seven churches are. The churches of Asia are all in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Um so well, this is, and specifically, we are sending a missionary to Smyrna, one of the seven letters, one of the, church, one of the cities that gets a letter that God says, Hey, Jesus, here's the message. And Jesus like, gives it to an angel. Interpret this for John. And he gives it to John, and John writes it down faithfully for us. And then one of those churches specifically addressed in this is Smyrna, that he's going there. Izmir, he says is the modern day name for it. Pretty good timing, I think pretty neat as far as like the excitement level, the investment we should have in this book that he's writing a letter for this, but it'll get better as we go. So I think it's an exciting part that we have this vested interest. And so Asia today is modern day Turkey. Um, During this time, it was a Roman province, Uh, it was called Asia, Asia Minor, uh, specifically in this part. Uh, It's still called Asia, but it's more of the, it's bigger, Uh, but the Western part is modern day Turkey, you know, and so it's stuff on the news today. Can you imagine getting a letter from John? Maybe he's, he's kind of a rock star. You know, this is John, you know, John who toured with Jesus Christ you know, for those years, one of the inner, inner groups. One of the ones who suffered under Domitian, we're, we're going to see, one of the Caesars. And he's paid a physical price for uh, staying faithful, staying true, but they don't deny one who witnessed the crucifixion, one who witnessed all these miracles, one who was there and, and they could go to and the early church fathers would go to him and see and then his disciples carried that on. No, here's what John said. And that guarded the word of God so that we have a, an untainted text for us today because we had these early investment in that. And so John lives on and is one of the ones that kind of heads up, making sure all this gets put down and, 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 and protected. And so we get one of him, from him and he claims it's directly from God. God has given me this. And I'm addressing it to you. And you, There's the seven churches that we'll see in the next two chapters. But as I really think about it, knowing what's ahead in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he's written a letter to Cornerstone, which is pretty humbling. One of those seven churches is us. So he's written it to us. It comes from God, through John, through time. Here you go. And, and, and maybe it's the timing you know of all this, but just going through the book of Daniel... That when Cyrus comes in, Daniel had been studying, he goes, Isaiah talked about you written by name. Here it is. And so, you know, Cyrus is super nice to Israel because God calls him out by name and has written him a letter. God has written us a letter that we should take to heart. And he even gets more specific than that. So, yes, he has Cornerstone Church is addressed in this. But us as individuals, each and every one of us are one of those seven churches, too. Are we in Ephesus, someone who's lost their first love? Are we a Laodicea? Someone who's just lukewarm. Eh, maybe one day. Maybe someday. Are we a Philadelphia? Are we mission-minded? Are we ready to go out and do something? Or, there's a bunch of different variants in between. But that's us as individuals. It's us as a church. So this letter is written to us. So can you imagine? We just got a letter written from God, given to us, and we get a chance to study it here, and he says, uh, blessed are you if you read it. No wonder Satan attacks this book and says, don't read it. Because it's God writing to us, speaking to us for today. And so makes it pretty exciting to me. It's a supernaturally written to us. Uh, that's pretty cool. And so that's some of the things that come ahead. Now, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. So he's writing it to them. And then, then that ultimately comes down through us, and, and we'll see that those churches are twofold. But he starts out with his um, greeting, like a lot of the epistles in the New Testament do. Grace be unto you and peace. From him, then it gets neat, from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before this throne. All right, now now we're getting into some stuff. So, so uh, he tells us who it's from, and uh, he says it's from him who which is and which was and which is to come, which sounds like, you know, prophetic, right? It sounds something kind of like a little bit cryptic in there. It's like, ooh, you know, that's a little mysterious sounding, which was and is and is to come. And it's become a phrase that I've kind of come to like. You know, it's one that I've been, since the 80s, it's, it's one, uh, Michael W. Smith had a song that had a line in there about it, you know, where these angels were chanting, which was and is and is to come, and it always kind of like struck me back then, wow, you know, what's, a, what's this like? We'll get some glimpses of God's throne a little bit later, and they, they had the triune, the holy, 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 and so uh, this, that gives us some hint. This is a title for God the Father. And they say in the Greek, as this was written, it's awkward. Because John is trying to put it in a certain Greek phrase to match a certain Hebrew phrase um, that we kind of lose through this. And so, uh, one, uh, we look at it and it shows the eternal nature of God. He's timeless, which was, which is, and which is to come. You know, he covers all the base of time. He's always been, he is, and he always will be. So, So we have that in there. And it's basically the New Testament equivalent to Yahweh, which was the I am. You know, I am. I exist, I I was. I was in the past, I am in the future, I am now. You know, the I am, the all encompassing. That's what he's conveying here to us now. Which is, which was, and which is to come. It's not enough because you just can't say, oh, God is. I believe that God is. That's too short. And you can't say that God was. That's too short. And you can't just say that God will be. He's all three all at once. He is, He was, He is to come. Because God exists in all time. He's outside of time. He encompasses it, everything. He is the Lord of eternity. God, Yahweh, rules the past. He rules the present. He rules the future. He is in charge of it all. We don't have to wonder, will he be there? He is there. He rules it all. George Orwell says this. Who controls the past controls the future. And who controls the present controls the past. And you're like, well, that sounds weird. And, and it is. And if you haven't read 1984, it is recommended reading because we are living a lot of what he warned us about in this book, 1984. But in the book, those in charge today would rewrite history to make it Make them better to control what you were doing and to control the future. They were constantly, they had a whole department of, uh, I forget what they call it, but, the, but they were all, I think they call it the Department of Truth, but the major thing was that they lied. They went back and they rewrote and they rewrote and they rewrote trying to control what they, was going on in the, in the past to say that, oh, that's what we've always done and that's who we always will be and that's how it is. That's what we live in today. We call it revisionism. When they go back and they attack our founding fathers, and they go back and they attack Christian people throughout history, they go and they say, oh no, and we got to interpret it this way, and they were awful, and they were horrible, and this was this way. and We need to tear all that down. We need to start over. We need to do away with all those ancient documents and what we were. We need to reinvent it and re- re-put it in this way. This is the warning that was there. But we have this little truth over us knowing that God controls it. They can do what they want to do and they can rewrite what they want to rewrite and they can try to brainwash us and change our minds about history so that we'll just fold over and let them do whatever they want in the future. No, we are to be a change agent, church. We're to be the ones that stand up and say, no, we don't do it that way. God says we do it this way and we're to be that lone voice sometimes but stand up together. We're not so lonely to, to say, no, we're in charge. We're in control. This is who we are. This is who we were. This is who we want to be. This is what made America America. And if you're tearing it down, you're going to Destroy this nation, and that is under attack today. We are in a war, whether you know it or not, and it's not so civil. And we are being attacked, and we are being attacked by the world, but we need to stand and we need to pray for those to do so. But here, we need also know, as we are called to do so too, but we also need to know that God is in charge. He understands history and He keeps perfect record. He is in charge today, and He'll be in charge tomorrow. And so we can rest in that, knowing that God is in charge of all these things. So, yeah, we have a struggle of all these things today, but we can trust God. And we can trust him through this. We need to lean on him. But I think also there's a clue here. I think that uh, this book is about the future. And we'll look at that in one of these weeks here too about the different views and ways you can interpret this book. I interpret it as a future view. Especially from chapter 4 onward is all future. We'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, God is in charge of that future. And that future can be interpreted by what's going on now, and that God is, and he is teaching us through his word. And he uses a big portion of what and teaches us about the future by what has happened in the past. And that's why this book is pointing us to the Old Testament. So I think here, when we look to the Father, we need to know that God has always been in charge. He does not change how he operated and what he did in the past or things that he's going to do in the future. And so it's one of these things that's also driving us to the rest of the book of the Bible, you know, to pay attention today and to pay attention to what he's done in the past. So God does all this, that God's, you know, that, that, that he is in charge of it all. And so uh, his recording the past was to help influence us on the future of what's going on. Um, But then he continues on and he says, so that describes God the Father. So the next one at the end of verse 4 says, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. The seven spirits before the throne. This is the Holy Spirit, a reference to him. This, This speaks of him, his perfectness and his completeness. It's not that he's seven spirits, but he's Seven complete attributes that makes him the perfect, you know, makes him perfect. Uh, Isaiah 11, uh, starting in verse 2, tells us about these attributes. It tells us that he has wisdom, that he has understanding, that he gives us the, the, one of the spirits of the Holy Spirit as counsel, uh, that he has might, that he has knowledge, that there's the fear of the Lord as part of that wisdom, and that he gives us discernment. And so he has, the Holy Spirit is enwrapped in all those, and he is our teacher and our instructor who helps us in these things. And so there aren't seven different spirits, but seven characteristics that show he's the full and complete person of the Trinity here, that he is the Holy Spirit, God uh, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to need his help to interpret this book as well. We're going to need his, his perfection as we study this. As we're going to need His wisdom. We're going to need His understanding. We're going to need His counsel as we interpret some text. We're going to need His strength to endure some things that it says are coming upon the earth. We need His knowledge and His discernment, and we need His reverence to understand and respect what God is telling us. And so that's encapsulated in God's, God's name as well. And then he continues on. So from God the Father to God the Holy Spirit, who do you think the next one he talks about, right? <laughs> it's going to be Jesus Christ, right? It's the Trinity. And so... Uh, and we need to remember before we get to this, he's being revealed to us, as we said at the outset. He's giving us a fuller picture of who Jesus Christ is, other than the four Gospels. We know who he is through the four Gospels, and we have the rest of the New Testament that tells us about the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. Now we move on to something new, uh, Christ in a different way. So verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins and his own blood, He hath made us kings and priests unto God his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, he's the faithful witness. We know that. And John even talks about it. He prays it before he goes uh, to die on the cross. He says, I delivered all the words you've given me to say. I said everything you wanted me to do, God. I I delivered those. But he's a faithful witness that we can trust him. And Jesus teaches us and talks to us and tells us these events that was given to him from God the Father. That we can trust this. This is what's going to happen. And I think one of the things we don't want to do is spiritualize it. You know, like, oh, this is all just a play that's going on. None of this is real. No, I think this is all real. Uh, the more I study the Bible, the more literal it becomes. And so, yeah, he's a faithful witness. We could take his word as being trustworthy. He's the first begotten of the dead. That's a pretty neat title and that uh, uh, we'll get to it in just a little bit. He's also the prince of the kings of the earth. Uh, he was the suffering servant when he came the first time, but, but now he's in charge of them. He loved us. I understood that. He's washed us. I understand that. He's washed us with his blood. That means he gave himself for us. And he's going to make us kings and priests. That goes on in his title. Tell us, And he says that we will live and we will glorify him forever and ever. Amen. Amen, I say to that. But he's the faithful witness. Like I said, he's reliable. The Greek word for witness is the word martyr. Do you have any better martyr in the world than Jesus Christ giving his life for us? No. If we witness for him... There has been many people that will be martyred, and I think that's part of the foreshadowing of this book. There's going to be a lot of martyrdom because we're coming to a day and age where if you stand for Christ, it will cost you your life. So I think he's given them encouragement already. He is faithful and true. Stand for him. He is a martyr. Be a martyr for him. I don't think we need to have martyr syndrome, but I think we need to live for him. He's given us that. He's the ultimate one. He is the firstborn, the firstborn of the dead. That means he's, he's not like, oh, he was born first. That means he's head over. My family, I'm the oldest. I'm the firstborn. So I'm, I'm the head over son. <laughs> and that way. And so I, that's, that's to be that way. Kind of like, usually, you know, it was a title. that could be withqueathed. And David was considered a firstborn, but he was lastborn because it was a title. He was head over these things. It's also a messianic title. Firstborn. Uh, maybe even rabbis, when they talk about Messiah not knowing as Jesus, say that he will be, the title will be the firstborn over Israel. He is one who is head. He is the preeminent one. He is the leader. He is first. He is that. I think he's over the resurrected ones. He is first. It's not like he was also the first one resurrected from the dead. In a sense, he was, but you figure in the Old Testament, you had a lot of people who, was, who were brought back to life. Jesus brought people back to life. But he's the first one brought back in the eternal state where he will never see death again. Those other people who were re- resurrected died again. Jesus Christ never faces that. And so he is head over all those who will be resurrected. Amen. That's you and me if we repented and trusted in Christ. He also says he rules over kings. Uh, he's no longer that suffering servant. He's no longer, you know, tied up in front of Pharaoh, or Pharaoh, on top of uh, um, Pontius Pilate. You know, it's not that. Now he's in charge. Uh, that's kind of new for us. You know, when we saw him last time, he was the suffering servant. So now he, all kings will bow down to him. By the end of the book, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so uh, they, they need to get on board. I think there's also maybe a reference here to those in charge of the earth now. You know, those... I believe from you can take that the Tower of Babel, that there are 70 different divisions that are there, and there were angels that were put in charge of that, that they are going to ultimately give account unto him. He is the prince of princes in that way. But I also think it's worldly kings. All of them will give an account to him too, that he's actually in charge. when it seems like... There's chaos and things aren't going wrong that, that God's in charge. And if they get too out of control, he'll pull back the reins on them. Now, we've had many people who've tried to rule the world and become the world dictator. Napoleon tried, you know, but he met his end at Waterloo. You know, he, he, gets, he gets put down. He gets, he gets quelled there. Uh, the Kaiser Wilhelm tried. Adolf Hitler tried. Saddam Hussein wanted it. And each time God had them come to an impasse, and he's like, no, it's not you. It's not your time. It's not that. And so ultimately, God was in charge, but it seemed like these were juggernauts that were just continuing to go, that he had to stop for them. Tired, waiting to rule the world waiting to rule the world were stopped. So God is ultimately in control, and God is ultimately, it is his, his timing. And so he's the one who's going to, and I think that's the key text for us, when you get to the beast, that talks about him wearing down the saints and killing Christians that, that God says that... Uh, him whom he lets, you know that God has him on a leash. And there's a point in time where he's still like, no, you know, no further. Uh, but God is allowing things to happen uh, for his glory. And so we get to serve him, this one who is the prince over all the kings of the earth. And that's what, how it continues in verse 6. And he hath made us kings and priests, us. He's speaking to himself here, which is uh, one of the disciples and also the Christians that are alive. He has made us kings and priests. Unto God the Father, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We can serve him in this capacity in the future, as a king or a priest. See, this is part of the reward system. I don't think all of us are kings. I don't think all of us are priests. But if you're faithful and you serve him now, this is one of the rewards you can attain to, that you can serve him in this higher capacity. It's determined by what you do now. Uh, Works don't save us, but works for him will be rewarded later, and he'll... Pay in kind. You know, how much time and investment have you put in for him? He'll, he'll give you that in the future. It's not time wasted. It's time well spent. Uh, even if it's time, we're like, well, no one got saved or no one came. No one do that. God judges the motive. He judges your desire. He judges your desire to serve him and, and to want to see souls saved. You know, we need to be there for that. I think Dave said the first RU ministry, the first meeting they had, six people showed up to work. One person showed up to come. The next week, six people showed up to work. Nobody showed up to the meeting. You know? I remember the first few times I came to Cornerstone on Wednesday nights. There's a table in the back. Sometimes it was me and two people. Sometimes it was me and three people. Uh, normally, we had the, had the whole sanctuary where you just set a table right there in the doorway. Sometimes there was four people. Did that for a year on a Wednesday night. You know, it was just kind of just come, just be faithful. You never know what's going to happen. You know, that, that was before I was ever called to preach here. I was just helping out on a Wednesday night. You know, but you, you never know. But your desire is serve the Lord. God honors that. You have a desire to serve Him. That's my takeaway from this passage this morning. Do you have a desire to serve him? Do you want to serve him? Do you want to reach people? you have an opportunities. Uh, I say you seize them. And if not, if you're like, this isn't my cup of tea, think of something. Think of some way that you can reach out to others. It's pretty exciting thinking we're still getting hits from our, Christi- uh, from our movie that's going in that way. That'll be online to come around each and every Christmas as it comes around in that way. And so what goes on there it you know, gets moved and uh, gets used. And so we appreciate all your help and your participation in that. You know, we do have a portion in every missionary out there doing something in that. You know, we are partners in with him. You know, whoever has, uh, supports a prophet or a missionary in that way gets to partner in that, that prophet's reward. I think that's motivation for us as a church to make sure we help as many as possible, right, to, to be a partner in that. And so um, giving to the church is giving to them, which is giving to God. And so God counts all that. He keeps perfect record. And so we have many opportunities, but he's trying to stir us on. He's like, events are going to be happening. Times are going to be different. And whether we live to see all this or not, we are still the ones entrusted with holding the gospel light up bright and shining now. And so he wants us to be serving him. He wants us to be working for him. And he says, there's rewards for you if you do so. And he's trying to motivate us with that. I think that's a good place to end as we come back and start next week. But uh, uh, man... We have the Trinity in here, we have Jesus Christ, that he's going to be coming and ruling and reigning, and it's going to be no longer all the Christians are the put down ones, the oppressed ones, it's going to be they're the ones on top, and first shall be last, last shall be first, and so we get to see all that played out as well, and I hope you're ready to, to join in with him, and today's the day to do something. Now's the time that we influence our, our eternity, and if you don't know him as Savior, take care of that first. If you do, let's do something for the Lord's sake.